Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance in Maternal Health. Hello, my name is Amanda Nally, and I will be hosting this first episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby. Today, I'm joined by the TIPQC Maternal Medical Director, Dr. Jessica Young, and the TIPQC Officer for Health Equity, Dr. Rolanda Lister. Our discussion will cover some of the issues facing our state, especially relating to maternal care, maternal mortality, and health equity in Tennessee. We invite you into the discussion of how we can improve care here and have better health outcomes for our moms and babies. Let's dive right in. Rolanda and Jessica, welcome to our very first episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby with TIPQC. Most people may not know who we are as uh, people. So Jessica, why don't you start us off and just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and your history with TIPQC. Sure. Uh, my name is Jessica Young. I am an OBGYN and I'm an addiction medicine specialist. And I started working uh, with TIPQC through a state quality improvement project that TIPQC was doing around um, inpatient provision of long-acting reversible contraception. And then I became involved with other projects and most recently a project on opioid use disorder in pregnancy. And I'm currently the maternal medical director for TIPQC. Rolanda, how about you? Tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with TIPQC. So I am a maternal fetal medicine specialist that takes care of high-risk pregnancies, both with mothers who have pregnancy complications, chronic diseases, and also diagnose fetal anomalies. So I have been in practicing in Tennessee for the last almost five years, and um, I got involved with TIPQC after being invited to give a talk about race disparities and maternal outcomes back at the last annual meeting in March. And as I had been looking into uh, maternal mortality and particularly Black maternal mortality, I wanted to get involved on a statewide level and just be a part of the progress in terms of moving forward initiatives to mitigate uh, some of these disparate health outcomes. So I was uh, welcomed with open arms and have been um, passionately active since we are part of the working group to address hypertension treatment in pregnancy and postpartum, which is the leading cause of pregnancy-associated death for the last two years. So that kind of sums up what, you know, how I got to know TIPQC and how TIPQC has gotten to know me and some of the things that we're wanting to move forward together. 
Jessica, what hopes and goals do you have for this podcast? And how does that relate to what we're doing with TipQC? Yeah, well, for those that out there in radio land who don't know, or podcast land, I guess what it is, who don't know what TipQC is, uh, TipQC is the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. And TipQC is an organization that is really charged with improving the quality of care for pregnant women and their infants and postpartum women. This is done through a variety of means, but in particular, it's mostly done through quality improvement projects that are initiated at individual hospitals or medical centers, usually around a particular topic, for example, hypertension in pregnancy or opioid use disorder in pregnancy. And then we as TIPQC help individual centers to develop best practices, to make changes, to test those changes and make sure those changes are actually resulting in positive outcomes or improvement in outcomes, and then helping them figure out a way to sustain those changes long term. One of the reasons we're doing this podcast is in order to make change, it's really important that people understand why we're making change and people understand the issues that uh, underline those those individual issues, and part of that's education. So mm-hmm. doing this podcast is about educating not only medical professionals, but also patients. We know that patients have to be engaged in quality improvement in order to make a difference, and some of the most powerful voices of change come from mm-hmm. patients or their partners or their loved ones. And so this podcast is a way for us to to spread this information, not only to other medical professionals, but to other people, family people, community people as well. Yeah, a couple of our main focuses starting off are going to be the opioid use disorder, specifically on the maternal side, and then also racial disparities. Those are just two major pressing issues going on in our state. Rolanda, do you have any hopes and dreams for this podcast, especially being our officer of health equity, I think is Mm -hmm. the official title. What, What are your hopes and dreams for this podcast? For so long, at least in terms of racial disparities, minority women have felt powerless and have felt that that their lives were not valued to the extent of the majority counterparts. And as a result, there's been a deep um, mistrust of the medical community. And I think one of the goals that I have for this podcast is delivering that power back to women and their families through education, through advocacy, um, so that they know that there is an organization that cares about them, cares about their babies, and are actively um, putting systems in place that can be propagated statewide with the sole purpose of improving the the health and livelihood of the families that we seek to improve. So I'm hoping that this podcast would serve as a conduit of delivering uh, empowerment through education back to the women that we and women and families that we serve. 
So Jessica, as the maternal medical director with TIPQC, what are some of the most pressing maternal issues facing our state today? Well, we have several, but one of the most pressing issues that we have in Tennessee is our maternal mortality rate. Uh, we know that in the United States, we have a problem with maternal mortality compared to other countries of the same socioeconomic level internationally. But our state, Tennessee, is unfortunately one of the worst in the nation in terms of maternal mortality rates. And our, luckily, we have a new maternal mortality review committee in the state that is really doing the hard work to take a look at why we have this problem and the ways that we can improve it, we can make it better, we can prevent it. So looking at those issues that really impact maternal mortality is so critical. And so those are hypertension in pregnancy um, and postpartum, hemorrhage during pregnancy and delivery and postpartum, substance use disorder and other mental health disorders, because we know that 33% of our maternal mortalities are related to substance use disorder. And those I think are, for me, are, the, are some of the three more pressing issues. And then of course, with our maternal mortality rate, we have a big problem with racial disparities mm -hmm. with our maternal mortality rate. And black women in our state are much more likely to die from pregnancy related conditions than white women. And so that's a huge problem. Rolanda, do you have something to add on that? I'm sure you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would, I would absolutely echo um, Jessica's sentiment in terms of uh, Tennessee is famous for a lot of things, the spicy chicken, and mm -hmm. um, you know, being the volunteer state, and just there's so many great, beautiful things about Tennessee. Um, but unfortunately, we earn poor scores when it comes to the racial disparities and maternal health outcomes. Like many other states, over two-thirds of our maternal deaths are preventable causes. Um, so a lot of our efforts really could be realized if we concentrated our quality and improvement initiatives to those most preventable causes of deaths. The pregnancy-associated deaths being cardiovascular, specifically hypertension, is something that uh, something that we can tackle, something that we can overcome. And there have been initiatives that have been, or publications that have demonstrated that it is possible to um, curb the uh, disparities with technology interventions and, and other um, measures. So I think it's it's really, I think the most pressing thing is to really call it out and not deny or dismiss that these disparities exist and to realize that our in the, you know, within the historical context, there are uh, racial biases that contribute to these disparities. So we have to be courageous enough to uh, call out the problem. And then, and only then we can um, employ uh, the measures to, you know, to improve those. So I would say understanding how uh, racial bias contributes to adverse 
uh, health outcomes and have a kind of a comprehensive multimodal approach to, to mitigating it. Um, addressing the racial bias, uh, using technology to to manage hypertension, um, finding alternative ways to in-person care, to providing treatment for postpartum women with hypertension. Black women, the postpartum period is the they're actually the riskiest part of the whole perinatal experience where over two-thirds of women who die within the first year are actually, they die in the postpartum period. So, and um, when you compare all of the races, Black women are the most vulnerable to missing the postpartum visit, the in-person visit. So we've got to find alternative ways in order to meet that need. We have to mobilize uh, community partnerships with uh, people, trusted pillars in the community that already have the trust uh, of these women and devise a way that we can partner and work together because we all are, are wanting the same you know, goals and the, the well-being of, of our women. So we have to kind of think outside of the box, think outside of how we deliver traditional uh, care and, and just kind of, I guess, employ, you know, alternate methods of of reaching our mamas. I really liked what you said about this being a call to action, because I Mm. think that that is something that is so powerful and so important about this, this time where we, as a medical community, have started Mm-hmm. I say started yeah. <laughs> just yeah. begun to focus yeah. on on racial disparities and because they've existed forever mm-hmm. and in our in our medical system. And I know when I was in medical school, we were really taught that differences in outcomes that we saw among race races were due to poverty or mm-hmm. other systemic things or genetics or mm-hmm. and then there was this kind of like shrug like well what can you do about this thing or even more right. kind of victim blaming like yeah oh it's bad choices it's nutrition right. it's they don't those people don't eat you know those right things, right you know? right like or and there was no kind of inward look Absolutely. At mm-hmm. as medical professionals, like what are we doing mm-hmm. that contributes to these disparities? Like what where is our implicit bias? Where yeah. is our the things that we do that either, you know, more egregiously yeah. um, impact poor patient care or unintentionally unintentional, but, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I think that is something that's really new about what's going on and hopefully will continue is that those self-reflections that we are being encouraged and hopefully all doing internally, but then also as systems, looking at our systems, how, how do they, uh, how are they contributing to this problem? Absolutely. Um, As you, as you spoke about like the systems and the well-meaning systems, you know, there was a recent, Um, New England Journal article that looked at scoring systems through different disciplines and how they actually worsened kind of the racial 
um, disparities. So for example, in the OB world, we use what we call a VBAC calculator, where we enter a set of demographics and the body mass index and, and then race and whether or not the patient has had a vaginal delivery in the past and the indications of the C-section in the first place. And just to kind of back up, a VBAC calculator is basically a vaginal birth after cesarean uh, calculator that kind of gives, it's a tool that, that has been used a lot. Like I use it a lot in, in, in my practice to, you know, for counseling sake to say, okay, here are the, you know, here are the clinical factors that were present or that are present. And um, based on previous studies, the likelihood of successfully having a, a VBAC or vaginal birth after C-section is X percentage. And um, the difference between entering the black race and entering a white race is is different. So the way the counseling may go, it may actually have unintended consequences of actually discouraging, you know, someone who would otherwise have wanted to attempt a vaginal birth to to not, you know, so it's kind of like the self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak. And so that's just one example of many, and it spans a lot of different uh, disciplines and surgical fields, including like, you know, kidney recipients from black donors and, and di- different lab tests that are done that may in- inadvertently discourage, uh, you know, a, a subset of, of the population from actually, you know, donating kidneys, you know. So I think I think there's a reckoning that's happening and I think it's a it's good, you know, and it's not just limited to law enforcement, but there's also a reckoning that's happening with the medical establishment and we have a in my opinion a golden opportunity to um to reconcile our historical past and and really to be honest with ourselves and to be honest with our, our patients and, and kind of bridge that divide. Rolanda, you mentioned um, the beauty of Tennessee, how we have mm-hmm. all these wonderful food and, and these other um, things that define us. Um, one of the things about Tennessee is our three regions. So mm-hmm. um, the three stars on our, our state and within the Tip QC logo that represent the three regions of Tennessee. How do those regions differ in maternal care and the disparities that we're seeing? Uh, Is there a difference or um, is it the same across the board? So one of the things that I've learned more so after practicing here in Tennessee that differs from some of the other places that I've trained at before is that there's a lot of, you know, rural areas um, in Tennessee and, they are fraught with some of the same challenges in terms of access to care and kind of presenting with tertiary level problems due to inadequate access that kind of plagued some of the urban communities that I had previously practiced in. So similar pathologies, but but different different populations. And so I think I might turf this one to Jessica. <laughs> Well, you know, that I think that one of <laughs> Tennessee is so interesting because it's such a long state. <laughs> you know, you can it's I think 
seven or eight hours from the tip of East Northeast Tennessee all the way way across the state to Memphis. And the topography is different from the mountains, the Smoky Mountains to the across the Cumberland Plateau to Middle Tennessee, where we have bluffs and rolling hills, and then to it being very flat. <laughs> so we have this geographic difference. And then there are a lot of similarities, though, between the issues that are affecting us across the state are affecting women across the, day, the state. But there are some differences. For example, substance use disorder, it, well, in particular, opioid use disorder really affected the eastern part of Tennessee much sooner. And then it impacted us in Middle Tennessee and then in Memphis. And even now, uh, to the west of us, they tend to see less opioid use disorder than the more eastern parts of the state. But that has continued to, to change and evolve and not to say that they don't have an issue with opioid use disorder in, in the west. But there are just their regional differences in terms of that as well. But I'm not aware of any huge differences in terms of other health problems regionally. So with that, how does Tennessee really relate to the rest of the United States? I know that you said that we are one of the worst in the States. We have a bad reputation. Um, (laughs) Despite our beautiful state. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. And I think that part of that has to do with, with access to care. You know, we have a higher uninsured population compared to other States, especially that States that chose to expand their Medicaid and so we tend to see a lot of women who don't have insurance prior to getting pregnant. And if you don't mm-hmm. have insurance prior to being pregnant, then you can't do your preventive care um, easily. You're more likely to have uncontrolled chronic health conditions like hypertension, like diabetes, like untreated medical or mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. You tend to not be able to access treatment for substance use disorder. You tend to not be able to quit smoking because you don't have access to the medical treatments for smoking. So there's just a lot of underlying issues that don't get treated if someone doesn't have access to care. So we're hearing a lot of the the issues facing our state. TIPQC is primarily focused on quality improvement. So could you, um, Jessica, just talk to us briefly about what our role is in quality improvement in care versus research or other other people that are trying to help improve care as well? So quality improvement is a method of looking at the care that an institution or a group is already providing and gathering data on what our outcomes are, what are outcomes that we are interested in. For example, um, complications from cesarean sections might be an outcome that someone is interested in. Mm -hmm. And then when the data from that institution is examined and they know what their rate is of complications, for example, then they can systematically go about planning interventions that could improve that outcome and uh, 
or studying why those those uh, complications are there, planning how to make a difference, what interventions are going to be implemented. Mm-hmm. Once those in- interventions are implemented, then they assess what did it work? Did it not work? Did it make things worse? Actually, <laughs> did it make it better? And then what? Did it make it a little better, but not as much as we would have liked? And then they can go back to the drawing board and either change it completely and do something totally different intervention-wise or tweak the intervention they have to make it more successful, more targeted. Um, And what's important about these quality improvement initiatives is it's it's based on evidence. So it's based on what we already know. So, So other people have done the research to say like this treatment is the best treatment or one of the best treatments for this particular issue or this method of caring for this particular uh, population with this particular disease or condition. And then the quality improvement is about implementing those yeah. best practices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to see an improvement in outcomes, to have better quality. Right. Rolanda, do you have anything to add to the quality improvement uh, perspective? No, I think I think um, Jessica hit it on the head. As of course we all expected her to. That's why she's the. <laughs> that's why she's the maternal director. I'm actually kind of relatively new to the world of quality improvement, and I've actually learned a lot by the inner workings um, of TipQC. I I have to admit that. I find myself like wanting to do research because that's what I do primarily um, for my day job. I do a lot of research. So I've got a very inquisitive mind and, you know, really like that's, that's, you know, that's what I love. So, um, so Jessica and Brenda are often, you know, reminding me, this is quality improvement. Like the the research is already done. Like we're, you know, it's mainly implementation science. And um, so I, I would echo that, that it's really implementing um, things that have already been shown to be effective. And, um, and really, that's that's a hard job, you know. It's not easy to um, propagate that across uh, the state, and that can even be a point of research of how do you effectively translate what is known and what has been studied and get the widespread buy-in, you know. And it's really, you know, because the mission is is so clear. I think you have to be really clear about what, you know, what the mission is for quality, I think, and get the buy-in. So a lot of time and energy is really spent getting the message out. And I think that's kind of going back to one of the other outcomes that I hope from this podcast is to really get the message out that these are, you know, we want as many people involved in the process and want to support as many uh, providers and hospitals with, their quality improvement initiatives and just to kind of be that source of uh, that central support at, you know, of a given best practices. So, uh, yeah, so I echo everything. And I, I think implementation science is a, is a really, it's a huge feat and it's probably, it's so important and that's, what's going to reach the patient in the fastest way. Getting that spread and buy-in with making quality improvement changes, I think that's the art. That's, that's mm-hmm. the art yeah. of quality yeah. improvement is mm-hmm. 
how do we take this knowledge and uh, evidence and data that other people have worked so hard to acquire, to, to yeah. acquire mm-hmm. yeah. yes, mm-hmm. and then how do we spread that yeah. to the people that are in the trenches doing the work, mm-hmm. taking care of the patients, delivering the babies, it taking care of the babies in the NICU, mm-hmm. you know, taking care mm-hmm. of the mamas in the OR, you know, yeah. how do we, uh, it's such a challenge with uh, physicians and midwives and nurse practitioners and nurses, all the people that are mm-hmm. a part of our fabulous hospital teams are busy. <laughs> they mm-hmm. are working hard. They're, and so how to implement change in the context of these really just sometimes overwhelming work environments mm-hmm. where people are really working hard and, mm-hmm. and doing their best to, to take the best care of, of moms and babies. So as we wrap up this episode, we are kind of looking toward the future of what to expect coming up. So Jessica, I know you're kind of heading up a topic of conversation Mm -hmm. for our podcast. And Rolanda, you have your own topic that we'll be covering um, hopefully once a month um, from each of you coming up. So Jessica, why don't you just tell us a little bit about what's to come um, from you and and what, what topics you'd like to cover. So the the first thing that I am planning on covering is talking with um, a woman or women who have opioid use disorder and what their experience was like seeking treatment and going through the delivery process and then continuing their treatment postpartum. So that's one of uh, the first orders of business for, for me and in the podcast world. <laughs> awesome. That's so important to hear the the patient's perspective because we can get so caught mm-hmm. up in the medical data that um, it's it's important to remember there are people there too. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of the most important things that I've learned in, in order to make changes to my practice have been through having these types of conversations with, with patients. Rolanda, what about you? I know you've got some topics you'd like to address and some some things that you want to bring to the table. Yeah. Um, so I would like to uh, interview some other birth professionals, such as uh, doulas and midwives, and just to kind of get a sense of and let our audience know the difference between the scope of practice of each of the different birth professionals, and then also to kind of give us a snapshot into, you know, from a patient's uh, perspective and what what the patients feel from in terms of their experience um, and their perceptions uh, with each of those different specialty types. Another topic that we are uh, thinking about and actually have uh, have a lot of exciting interest is unconscious bias training to professionals, doctors, nurses, and other uh, lay workers in the hospital setting. We have a just a local treasure in uh, Dr. Garrison who has really built up the diversity mission of our institution 
So she's going to share her training program and also share the importance of unconscious bias training in order to just kind of highlight the need to address that as we care for our mothers and babies. Awesome. I also know that we have, I know you both are on the maternal side, but Tip QC mm-hmm. also does have an infant arm. Um, mm-hmm. So we're hoping in the coming uh, months to be able to incorporate them as well into this and, and give the infant side, the infant care, a voice in this too, because they, they also have their own unique challenges that we're they're facing. Be looking forward to that coming up probably after the new year, uh, once we get our feet under us. So, Okay. Well, you know, I just realized, Amanda, you didn't introduce yourself. Oh, I didn't. (laughs) I'm Amanda Nally. Um, I have been with TipQC about five years now um, total. I worked with TipQC several years ago for, I think, about two years. Um, And I had my second child and took some time off. And I've now been back for about three years. So total five years now. (laughs) Um, But I really got interested in just the whole perinatal care um, in having my own daughter was born um, 10 weeks early. So we very quickly learned about the NICU and I learned um, what HELP syndrome was. I didn't know what that was before. Mm. Didn't know what that was until they said, you're having your baby right now. Mm. You know, that was, so I come to TIPQC with a parent perspective. I do not have a medical degree, but I do you know, have a great appreciation for all the professionals that help us mamas and the babies stay healthy and are working very hard for us here in Tennessee. So I'm very excited to see where we go with this. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance in Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic or even have a question you'd like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available. And find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.